Lord Jesus, you have saved us through your amazing grace and you have left your word for us as a guide, but sometimes it's hard to understand. So Lord, we ask that you would be our teacher tonight, not me. That you would use my words, you would use the thoughts of our hearts to communicate to us the message you want us to hear. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All last year, while Christina was pregnant, she kept insisting that the baby was going to be a boy. And since we hadn't peaked, we didn't know what it was going to be for sure until it was unwrapped. And she had all kinds of reasons for thinking that it was going to be a boy. She was carrying the baby low. She could eat broccoli, which she could only do when she was pregnant with our son. And I I didn't think any of these reasons were very scientific, but she was the mother, so I believed her. So when Lucy was born, not Luke, and the doctor held her up, I remember thinking, what's wrong with my son? Something is missing. Put him back. He needs to cook a little longer. I was surprised. I was expecting one thing, and I got another. Now, I loved what I got. It's just... I was surprised. And maybe that's how some of you felt when Bruce just read that passage of Scripture. Let's see if we've got this straight. A dishonest steward gets fired for squandering his master's property. So he calls in all of his master's debtors and reduces their bills, hoping that they'll take care of him after he's fired, ripping off the master even more in the process. And the master finds out about it, and he says to the steward, Well done. You ripped me off. Way to go. Huh? That's probably what the disciples said when Jesus told this story, only in Greek. Huh? (laughs) Whatever that would be in Greek. This is a weird story. And I'm just guessing that most of you have never heard a sermon preached on this particular passage of Scripture. And you're probably wondering what I'm going to do with it. And uh, believe me, I was wondering all week what I was going to do with it and wondering why I chose this passage. But I figured that nobody knows what this passage really means, so my guess is as good as any. So, And just, by the way, parenthetically, the fact that this story is so weird indicates to me that the Bible is true. Because if you were making up the Bible, you would not have made this story up and put it in Jesus' mouth. I think part of the reason that we don't understand the parable is because we don't understand what Jesus is commending here. He's not commending the dishonesty. He's commending the fact that for the first time, this manager, in spite of himself, stumbles on to a good thing to do with his master's resources. This is a story about how we manage the things that God has given to us to take care of. And not just money, but time and our skills and our talents and our education, how do we manage those things? Because that's what stewards do. They manage other people's stuff. And biblically speaking, everything we have isn't ours, it's God's. You see, God has this funny notion that since he made everything, everything belongs to him. Funny, huh? As the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything we have, our families, our skills, our time, our money, is on loan to us from God. Now we like to think that we've earned all those things through our hard work, and true, our hard work had something to do with it. 
But long before the hard work, we had opportunities to get those things that could only come from God. We were born Americans at a time of economic prosperity. That was God's call, not ours. We were born with innate skills and talents and abilities. Again, God put those in us. We didn't create those in ourselves. Many of us were born into families that helped us get educations and opportunities. Again, God's choice, not ours. We are not self-made people. Directly or indirectly, everything we have comes from God. And the question is, how are we going to use it? And Jesus' point in this story is that even though this steward is a rascal, he manages to figure out some good things to do with his master's resources, in spite of his rotten motives. And the point is sort of, if even a rascal can figure this out, then why can't you guys? You're the children of light, Jesus says. If he can figure it out, y'all should be able to figure it out. And there are three things this steward does with his master's property that I think Jesus likes. And the first is this. The steward uses his master's resources to cancel debts. That's obvious, right? He reduces everybody's bill. And God wants us to cancel debts. For example, in the Bible, God says that every 50 years should be called a year of jubilee. And we're going to celebrate our church's 50th jubilee year in 2005. And God says that in this jubilee year, a couple things were supposed to happen. Slaves were supposed to be freed. Land was supposed to be returned to its original owners. And all debts were supposed to be canceled. And Jesus says in the New Testament that he is the fulfillment of that jubilee vision. And that we are to be his jubilee people. And part of that means canceling debt. And there's all kinds of debt out there. Obviously, there's economic debt. People are poor. We can help them out. But there's also spiritual debt. People are wandering around feeling far from God, feeling guilty about things. We can cancel those spiritual debts by telling people the good news that Jesus loves them and that he died to forgive them. People have relational debts. They've hurt each other. They're angry at each other. They're estranged from each other. We can help cancel those relational debts by being agents of healing and reconciliation. I have a friend who was a corporate lawyer and he absolutely hated it. He didn't feel like he was doing what God had designed him to do and he'd been transferred up here but all his friends were in California so he felt alone without community and he felt trapped because he had this mountain of debt from school loans and he couldn't figure out a way to even begin to think about a career change. He was in debt economically, vocationally, relationally, even spiritually because he wasn't living out God's call on his life. So another friend of mine found this out and went and paid off all this guy's school loans, all of them, which freed him to become a pastor and go into ministry down in California. And now he's doing what he was designed to do with his friends in community. That's canceling debt. Not just economic debt, but vocational, relational, spiritual debt. We are called to be God's jubilee people and cancel debt with the things that God has given us. The second thing that the steward does with his master's resources is he builds relationships. He builds relationships. He uses his master's money to make friends for himself. Now, not in a very good way, I grant you that, Not for very good motives, obviously. 
But Jesus still uses it as the moral of the story. Jesus says, I tell you, make friends for yourself with dishonest wealth. Dishonest, not because wealth is evil, but because it'll lie to you. Make friends with yourself with dishonest wealth. That's what it's for, to make friends. Now, obviously, we can't buy love. The, The Beatles taught us that back in the 60s, right? Can't buy me love. But we can use our resources to create eternal relationships. Let me give you an example. A month or so ago, as you know, I was in Guatemala, in the village that we all support with the money that we give to this church. And we were able, as part of that trip, to buy a corn grinder for the villagers, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but you've got to understand that every day these people had to walk six miles round trip just to grind corn for food. And that took time away from other things like school and, and economic development. So we were able to buy this corn grinder for them. Well, they figured that since I was a pastor, I would know how to dedicate a corn grinder. So they asked me if I would dedicate the corn grinder. And I said, sure, why not? I can do that. So I said to them, you know what? This corn grinder doesn't come from, G- from, from us. It comes from Jesus because he loves you and because he cares about your needs. And, and then we began to pray. Only you've got to understand, they don't pray down there like we pray, all nice and polite and one after the other. You know, no, no, no. They all pray at once, out loud. So there were 40 people crammed into this little hut, all praying out loud, all at once, in Spanish, English, and Ishil, which is their native dialect. It was just this cacophony. It it wasn't very Presbyterian, I'll tell you that. It was not decent and in order, polite one after the other. Are you done praying? I'll pray now. No, everyone, all at once, you know, blue. And they were crying, and the, the, the dirt floor was stained with, with tears. And, and as we were praying, I made the sign of the cross over the corn grinder because I didn't know what else to do. I mean, how do you dedicate a corn grinder, right? I figured, oh, make the sign of the cross. That seems good. I mean, they taught me how to do a lot of things in seminary, but dedicating corn grinders in the jungles of Guatemala wasn't one of them. I, I missed that class, you know. Mechanical Dedications 101. I didn't take it. And at the end, everybody was hugging everybody and everyone felt close. Relationships were built. We were using what God had loaned us, the money that bought the corn grinder, the time to go down there and give it to them, the the relationships with each other because we went as a community, our talents that, that helped us figure out their strategic needs. We used all of those things to build relationships with those people. And the great thing about relationships is they last forever. Money, jobs, reputations, houses, all of those things, they don't last. But relationships are eternal. I'll see those people again, either either by going back to Guatemala or for sure I'll see them in heaven. And we'll get together in heaven and we'll laugh and we'll talk, this time in a language we all understand. And, and, and I'll say to them, remember that day that we dedicated the corn grinder? And they'll go, yeah. I'll say, wasn't that a great day? And they'll say, you didn't know what you were doing, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. And they'll say, yeah, it was the sign of the cross that tipped us off. <laughs> How can we use what God has given us to build relationships? I, I saw a great example of it this week in this church. The women's Christmas dessert. 
All these women decorated all of these tables. Amazing decorations. I couldn't believe it. And transformed the community center and provided food and, and hospitality. They were using, for, for, for like 1,700 women, someone told me. That's amazing. They were using what God had loaned them. Their money, their time, their creative abilities, their, their hospitality to create relationships. Between each other as they worked on this event... And for all of those guests that were invited here for the first time and got to make relationships with us as a church and hear about Jesus, it was great. And by the way, guys, what's wrong with us? We're, we're kind of falling behind on this thing here. We, we need to figure out the guy equivalent of this. You know, like a football and ribs night or something. <laughs> Sushi? <laughs> I'm not going to point out who said that. No, ribs. Anyway, our, our time... See, you guys, this doesn't happen in the morning services. This is awesome. Our time, our homes. I mean, we can invite someone in for Christmas. Our food, our talents, all the things that God has loaned us. And it is a loan, guys. We don't own them. God gave them to us on loan. All the things that he's loaned us are to be used to create relationships. Because at the end of the day, only two things last forever. God and people. Cancel debts, build relationships, and the third thing this rascal does with his master's resources is he uses them to reveal the mercy of the master. We get a hint that the master is merciful at the beginning because he doesn't throw the steward in jail for, for theft as he could have. He holds him accountable for his actions, but he, he spares him the ultimate consequences, showing some mercy. And then later, after the steward has reduced everyone's debt, You'll notice the master doesn't go back and jack it back up again. He lets the reduced debt stand, showing mercy. And it's the steward's actions that reveal the mercy of the master. Again, not in a good way. But Jesus' point is that, that that's a dishonest steward. How much more then should we, the children of light, be able to use what God has loaned us to reveal the mercy of our master? I had lunch with a man this week who grew up in the inner city but managed to go to college on a basketball scholarship. And now he lives here on the east side and he and his wife are still very involved in the inner city. He works with a coalition of inner city pastors to improve life in the inner city and his wife teaches at one of the worst schools in Seattle. And he told me that a while back his son had his 18th birthday and so they invited a bunch of people over for the party and including some students from his wife's inner-city school. And he said these inner-city kids were just fascinated by their life, especially by their garage, which I know sounds peculiar, but he explained it to me. He said, you've got to understand, in the inner city, there are no garages. Cars are just parked on the streets. And so the garage for them was this symbol of a safe and a stable life, something they didn't have. And as part of the birthday celebration, they took some time and went around the room and everyone said to his son what they appreciated about him. And then they took some time and they, they prayed for his son. And again, these inner city kids were just fascinated by this so, so that when the party was over, they didn't want to leave. And so this man and his wife opened up their home and, and let them stay and had a conversation with them. And one girl said that this man's son was the only male she had ever known that had ever treated her with respect. 
And another person said that this man's wife was the only teacher that had ever shown any compassion. And pretty soon the conversation turned to things like Jesus and forgiveness and second chances and hope. And the evening ended with two of those kids giving their lives to Christ. That's good stewardship. This man was using what God had loaned him, his home, his hospitality, the fact that he's black and can reach these kids, his past, which means he understands what they're going through, his, his talents, the warmth and stability of his family, his garage. He's using all the things that God has loaned him to cancel debt, especially these kids' debt of sin, which is now forgiven, cancel debt, build relationships, and reveal the mercy of God. We're talking about God's economics this Advent. And in a weird, backhanded way, Jesus uses this rascal as an example of what God values. He he somehow stumbles on to finding the things that, that God cares about and that God values. This story is told immediately after the story of the prodigal son, which we looked at last week. And in that story, we discovered that it's really the father who is prodigal. Because prodigal doesn't mean bad, it means wasteful, lavish. And the father is lavish with his grace and his money and willing to spend a fortune just to throw a party for his rotten younger son. And right after that story, then Jesus tells this story in which we have another prodigal character, a a steward. And the first thing we find out about him is he's squandering his master's property. He's wasteful. But when he squanders it for the right purpose when he squanders it for things that the master values, then the master is pleased. He doesn't care about the squandering. just cares that it's squandered for the right reasons. To cancel debt, build relationships, and show the mercy of the master. And these two stories, taken together, because they're told together, what they add up to is that God is not stingy. He's not stingy with his grace. He's not stingy with his resources. He is lavish. He is prodigal. And there is no better proof of that than Jesus himself, who God generously gives to us to die, to cancel our debt of sin, to restore our relationship with God, and to reveal the mercy of our Father. That's how generous God is. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. God is prodigal. He is lavish. He is spendthrift with his grace and with his resources. And he loans those things to us and asks us to be prodigal with them as well. To take what he has given us, our money, our homes, our talents, our families, everything, and lavishly, wastefully spend them to cancel debt, build relationships, and reveal the mercy of God. So, who's going to be your lucky victim this Christmas? Who are you going to wastefully, lavishly spend on all the things that God has given you to reveal to them that our God is generous, loving, and merciful? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you are not stingy, but that you are prodigal with your grace and with your blessings. And Lord, we ask that you would help us take those things and share them and spread them and spend them as prodigally as you do so that the world will know that you are a God of love. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.